0: Welcome to our podcast, What I Didn't Learn at Harvard. We're super connectors who will be talking about how to network smartly in a post pandemic world. I'm your host and moderator, Rajiv Jadav. I'm a reputation management strategist and social impact activist. My co host is Victor Lee. He's our Harvard alum, and he will be guiding us through all the things he's learned about networking since he graduated. In the episodes that follow, you'll be hearing from experts who do networking well. Welcome to another exciting episode of things I didn't learn at Harvard. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, Greg Stoller. Greg is a master of many things. And to introduce Greg briefly, I'm going to turn over to my dear, awesome co-host who did go to Harvard, Victor Lee. Victor?
1: Thanks Rajiv and, and thanks Greg for joining us. So let me just tell the audience a little bit about you and, and maybe a little bit how, how we met. Um, so, so Greg, as Rajiv said, is a man of many talents and he's really put a lot of those talents and I think his life's work into helping entrepreneurs and small businesses. So he's doing this in a variety of different ways, one of which he's a senior lecturer at Boston University's business school, the, the Questrom School of Business and all, and part of various innovative our innovation and entrepreneurship programs like BU Innovate. So I had the pleasure of meeting Greg a couple of weeks ago through a mutual friend of ours in the Boston area. And actually, Greg was kind enough to have me on his show, uh, which will air, I think, sometime later later this year. But well, the reason I asked Greg then to be on our show is because I think he's involved in a lot of interesting things, both in academia, in business, and in real estate. And he's developed a tremendous network of folks, both of people that he's helping and that and those people are helping him to help others as well. So we asked Greg to come on our show and talk a little bit about what he does and then and then all about how networking rolls into all that and his strategy and philosophy of networking, because it obviously seems to be working so well for him and his different endeavors. So Greg... Welcome to the show and uh, you know we'd love to have you tell our audience a little bit about you know what you're up to
2: these days. Thank you. Well, first, uh, thank you so much for the invitation and the opportunity to join both of you. Happy to have you. So my philosophy on networking, uh, at least on the academic side of my life, is fairly simplistic. I ask people to do one thing for me every year. That being said, there are a number of people who keep raising their hand and doing so energetically but my feeling has always been that I don't want people to see my name in their inbox and say, oh, my, this guy's like a bad penny. I can't get rid of him. You know, I, he asked me to do one thing and now I, I want to permanently unsubscribe uh, from everything. So the one event, one, an event, by the way, could be guest speaking in one of my classes, agreeing to be profiled in a case study being a judge uh, for a business plan competition, hosting our students if we travel either domestically or internationally. But I found that most people, if you are polite and say thank you afterwards and tell them you only are asking them to do one thing at a time, are more inclined to raise their hand, at least for that one event again the following year and maybe for even more. Greg, that
1: is great. And I have to say in all the episodes that Rajiv and I have done, that's an approach that we ha- nobody else has raised before. so it's certainly unique to you. And, and it really resonates with the kind of things we talk about. Because what the, we have a couple of, you know, we have our 10 rules of networking, and you've, you've actually touched on two of them right there. One of them, which is the way to bond with people is often to ask them for a favor rather than you volunteering to do them a favor. because I think by asking somebody for a favor, you can sort of indicate you know, that they are of value, that they can provide things. And, and, it's, and in your case, not so much for yourself, but really for your constituents, your students and others. So I think that's terrific. Another of our rules, I think it's rule number seven, is one message at a time. So rather than trying to confuse people, I think when you ask somebody for a favor, it sounds like you define it for them, it's very clear. Hopefully they say yes, but it really helps, I think, build the relationship and that's terrific. So t- tell us a little bit about, so is that a philosophy that you're teaching to your students, to your clients? And also I know you have you uh, you know your own TV show. So yes. tell us how it all fits together. I, I
2: think I have really learned both the hard way, and I like to believe the easy way that most people wanna be thanked. And I am shocked being on the other side of this so many times, and I'm sure Rajiv and Victor you've experienced this as well, that I'm not suggesting that you need to give $100,000 to a charity and, and have them throw a parade in your honor, but people ask me to do stuff all the time and I'm happy to do it. I don't have my hand out, and I'm not expecting something in return, but it's nice for someone to send an email to say thank you or to acknowledge you in some way, shape or form. And I'm shocked how many people never do that. I've got a couple of friends uh someone who we have a mutual friend uh in common with uh victor who actually sent me a handwritten thank you note Uh, i've tried to impress upon all of our children we've got three of them and they're all in college now that if a family member or someone goes above and beyond and does something nice for you take the time get some stationery write a letter At the very least, text them or email them and say thank you. But spend the, I don't know what stamps are these days, but they're certainly less than a dollar. But let's assume that they're, I don't know, 80, 90 cents. Spend the 80 or 90 cents, handwrite the note and send it off. People just don't do that as much. And I was certainly impressed that our mutual friend, Victor, actually sent me a note after he was on my TV show.
1: Okay, that's great. I'll, I'll have to uh, get back to him and, and uh, give, give him some credit for that. But I think those are great suggestions, Greg, because I think, you know, we completely agree. One of, another of our rules is people like to be acknowledged. So when people, when you're on social media and somebody likes you, your post, or they retweet you or something like that, it, it's easy to acknowledge them. And the two things I find kind of crazy, Greg, is number one. It's no cost to to us, right? It's no
2: essentially it's, it's no effort, zero. right? Yep. It's
1: zero. And secondly, I think I hate to say it, this is sort of a commentary on our times, is that you really stand out because nobody else does this. Right?
2: So well, I think I think we also live in a quid pro quo type society, I don't mean for the negative reasons of quid pro quo, but for the positive reasons. Is I'm just really amazed that. You know, somebody asked me to fill out a survey, and I'm obviously not going to do it 100 of the time. But I'm happy to do it. And somebody saw me doing it one day, and they said, "Why are you doing that? What are you getting from it?" And I said, "This is ridiculous. I'm not getting anything from it. But I would hope that if I had a survey, or I had somebody who give me feedback, that someone would be more inclined. I mean, what does it take? Three, four minutes." Of your time to fill out one of these surveys, I can tell you again, and I'm sure Rajiv and Victor, this will resonate with both of you as well as your listeners and viewers that, you know, the feedback is so important to us because it's permanent and especially if it's good, it's an indelible way of saying we did a good job and that's really helpful when you go to do that event or that concept for the second, third or 20th time.
1: I, that's very funny, Greg, because I, I, I've heard the expression that you want to get caught committing an act of kindness. Right? So it was both the person who was taking the survey, right, as well as the person who saw you taking the survey. And so I, hopefully that person walked away thinking, well, you know, if Greg could take time to, take, to do a right. survey or do something nice for somebody, you know, I can certainly do that too. Because I think a lot of networking comes down to the stuff that, you know, we learned as children which is what your parents told you, like, be nice, make friends. That's really all it is.
2: I agree. I, I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it's gotten distorted when we talk about, you know, quote networking, which is, you know, it's about an elevator pitch, or it's about right, a business right, right. card, or it's a it's a coffee where I can pump you for, you know, to try to get you to buy whatever is is I'm selling. No, no pun intended. Yes, yeah, that, yes that, there we go. Exa- exactly right. So t- tell us a little bit about the kinds of stuff that you're teaching your students, because I assume this is part of it, but also yes. you're about to send them out to the big bad world to hopefully become entrepreneurs and innovators.
2: I am trying to let our students know, I've got the same way that you have your 10 rules of networking. I have a couple of significant rules that I try and impress upon our students. The first is that while you are online, you leave electronic footprints everywhere. Uh, so please take the time if you're having a particularly bad day or a good day before <laughs> you press send to just think about and remind yourself that once you've pressed send and whether it's a good good world, Victor, or a big bad world, whatever, your email, your text, your tweet, your picture is now permanently a part of it. So make sure that you own that and are prepared to own that because you, you cannot control Z your life online and undo it. Once it's been transmitted, it's out there. The second is that the two most important words in business are thank you. Uh, And again, I am shocked how many people just don't take the time. In fact, I I have my students, whether they're undergraduates or graduate students, actually do a one week mini exercise uh, as part of my entrepreneurship classes. I have them write down the amount of times somebody who, and I'm not talking a good friend, but an acquaintance, you know, personally or a business uh, contact says that they're gonna do something. Oh, I'll call you. Oh, we should have lunch. Oh, let's get together and talk about that. And I say to them for one week, write down how many comments or offers you've received and then tabulate just for fun, how many people actually fall through. And oh I got what, what that, happens from that? Well, uh, so I would say, you know, I've been doing this unofficially now for probably five or seven years. I would say that at the high, only 25 to 30 percent of people actually follow through. Because again, when you meet somebody on the street and you say, How are you? You're not looking to know what their blood pressure is. You're not looking nice. to know if they had a fight with their with their partner. It's it's really more of a, of a conversation starter. And there's there are equivalents in Chinese and Cantonese and and Japanese, you know, these all exist, but it's not literally so victorly, how are you, how was your recent medical appointment? (laughs) And most people will also in kind say, oh, that's a great idea, let's do lunch. The problem is that we're all used to, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? But the let's do lunch, if you need something from them, you actually are waiting for their email or their text to say, when would you like to have lunch? And as I said, two thirds of the time, that email or text never comes through. Uh,
1: that That's really a, a fascinating exercise, Greg. Again, something I hadn't bumped into. So let me ask you this. What do you advise your students to do? Do you advise them to take these literally and then follow up and kind of get the other person to come through with it or or not
2: you have to realize it from my perspective i'm very fortunate this is now my 23rd consecutive year teaching i run a lot of events and events could also be a class session where i need people to do things for me and doing as again, it's going back to what we said earlier it's one event per year and maybe for an hour or two at a time but I, I'm, I'm requesting humbly quite literally people to guest speak in my class to judge to host our students or stuff of that ilk for every 10 emails I send out I might get one or two responses of those one or two responses maybe I have a conversion rate then of 30 to 40 percent. Oh my God! So, So, Greg, I I gotta
0: say, I gotta say that you know, like my company R Square, we have like for the longest time, like we get a lot of applicants from BU for our global mentorship program, and I can say, like even right now this month, I think we have four students from BU. Uh, I think they're from the TV and uh, Communications College. Yes. Yeah. The TV and Video program. I think they have graduated. Two of them graduated. And I think one of them is probably about to graduate or is a senior or something like that. So the BU students usually are like the best students. I, I gotta- well, th- Thank you for saying that. I mean, we
2: really, we, I find our students are scrappy, they're humble, they're hardworking, but, but just, you know, continuing the thread for another 30 seconds or so. Victor, to answer your question directly, I tell my students the reality of what I deal with is expect a very low conversion rate. Right. So yes, you should follow up and say to somebody, you said we should have lunch when. Right. Yes, you know, we should follow up and say, you promised to send me blah, blah, blah. You didn't, but have a thick skin because most of the time it was just talk.
1: Yes, I think that's great. it's very funny, Greg, because, you know, I, I was going to send you my, the 10 rules after you were kind enough to interview me on your show, and I haven't yet. However, you seem to have, you seem to have psychically absorbed all of that, <laughs> right? Because rule number 10 is filter your network. Right. So in, you know, look, probably like, like you in, in Rajiv and I, right. We meet a lot of people and we, in that we have initial connections with lots of people. And part of the question is, who do you want to follow up with? Who do you want to stay in touch with? And so on. And so a lot of this is a test, right? So w- when somebody says, Hey, let's get, Hey, great, that's great. You know, I'll call you. And he doesn't. And then if you reach out and they still don't, well, that tells you something about that person.
2: Right. But, but they, let me also Im- impress upon your viewers and or listeners that, I've been very fortunate in two decades of doing this. I absolutely want to give a giant hug, either, you know, uh, virtually or in person to the people. I have probably over a hundred people a year who are nice enough to work with my programs and interact with our students. So I don't want to just focus on the negatives. Right. I also want to give a huge shout out to the hundred plus volunteers, like literally a sincere thank you because- these programs would nearly not be as good and in some cases non-existent if they weren't willing to be so
0: generous with their time. Well,
1: Yeah,
0: and, uh, and Greg, in fact, uh, just something that you said kind of intrigued me where you said that, you know, you've got to brace yourself for the hard reality that you may not you may not get a response because some of this was just talk. I think that possibly could be because like you said, like in the example you shared was, hey, how are you? Now, hey, how are you? Is is almost a rhetoric statement at this point, where I've found myself even doing it, where somebody asks me, "Hey, how are you?" and then I say, "Hey, how are you?" almost like a robot, without thinking, without actually even responding to the "Hey, how are you?" which was, "I'm fine, thanks." You know, so the I guess the question really is, uh, Greg, about you know, it was just talk. Could it be possibly that? It was just talk is maybe it's part of that conversation where it's either considered as societal politeness or something. And how do you, I guess, distinguish or steer that conversation away from that so-called societal politeness to this is like a real thing that I actually want for this to happen. And I'm serious about it. Like, so I guess, as
2: I said, I think we have a very good societal example in Cantonese, which is the language of Hong Kong, is that when you see people on the street, uh, whereas in mainland China, you're going to say, Ni Hao, which is, or Ni Hao Ma, which is, how are you? Uh, In Cantonese, you would say, Sik Jou Fan Mea, uh, have you eaten or not? You literally are not asking them whether they ate, but it's a conversational equivalent in English of saying, how are you? So again, this isn't just an American construct. But to answer your question, Rajiv, directly, I think that you need to be honest with yourself as to whether it was really talk or whether it was a sincere, you know, outreach by somebody. And you know, I understand, listen, the three of us have been students before. Okay. We know what's going through their mind. And the closer you get to May or June, then the more those non-responses or negative responses start to hurt because the clock is ticking, right? Right. So, and 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 believe me, I am not going to begrudge our students at all for wanting to get internships or full-time jobs or getting to graduate school because the alternatives are not necessarily very good if they put all of their eggs in one basket. But that being said, and putting that aside for a moment, I think again that if it's a recruiter who's saying. Oh, I'll get in touch with you. Your resume looks good. Or if it's someone who you want to ask out on a date, who you really think is cute <laughs> and you really like to spend time with, obviously in your mind, in their mind, that is going to carry a, a larger value or a, you know more extensive uh, importance or tenor to it. But again, I think from the recipient's perspective, you have to be true to yourself. Because let me impl- let me indicate, I'm not implying that people are bad. I'm not implying that, and I'm sure this isn't hopefully on your list of, of 10 rules, Victor, is that you know rule number 11, the, un, the, un, the unmentioned rule number 11 is that people are jerks. I don't want that to be the case. I just think that a lot of people, they just don't want to be impolite. And how do you finish a conversation with somebody that you don't know you're not going to say to them, by the way, your resume stinks, never call me. <laughs> right. or, or by the way, I think you're the ugliest person in the world. I would never want to go out for a cup of coffee with you. You're, it was just natural to say, it was nice meeting you. I'll be in touch. Or that's great that you're doing X, Y, Z. Let's talk about that sometime. As opposed to saying, yeah, you know, this is definitely not going to work. We're done here. I mean, because that would almost be... Again, rule number twelve. The the unsaid rule number twelve. That'll be anti networking. That would probably be a, a recipe for really upsetting people.
1: That's so you're some, kind of saying, you know, hey, I'll call you, knowing, knowing that I'm not going to call, and you know that I'm not going to call. Like,
2: and it's, 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 it's kind of, a, it's sort of
1: unspoken.
2: Maybe one out of ten times, five out of ten times, pick a number. That person was sincere, and right. that's great.
1: Right. The other thing I want to ask you about, Greg, while we have a couple of minutes left, is one thing that impressed me about the, the work you're doing at BU and for your students is a lot of it seems to be very practical and hands-on, right? So you're having these competitions, you know, with b- business plan contests, you're taking kids off on field trips so they're seeing the real world. So can you talk a little bit about how you sort of balance that with what they're learning in the classroom? And yeah. what is it that you want them to get out of it?
2: I want to be very clear, especially to... Uh, our colleagues who often teach theory that the theory that we teach in these classrooms are responsible for the grants that these universities get, they receive, uh, the wonderful uh, publishing opportunities in journals and ultimately help build new buildings, help endow programs. Like this theory is really, really important. And I tell students all the time, Provides an essential framework that you, if you're going to be successful in business, or as you said, Rajiv, from the College of Communications, it doesn't really matter. It provides, you know, uh, a, a governor, if you will, on the left side or the right side, a bookend, whatever you want to call it, that it's a way that students can go off into the world. Hopefully, it's not a big bad world, as you indicated, Victor, but go <laughs> off into the world with some sort of framework intact. So they understand what the rules of engagement are. I would like to believe that in my classes, I'm complementing that. And the message isn't, oh, the theory doesn't matter. It's all about practicality. Without the theory, you have no framework. You don't even know where to begin in terms of asking questions or gaining more information. But I don't think it's a it's an either or proposition. I don't think it's a matter that you could only need the theory and then you go and graduate and you know, go forth and prosper. Or the theory doesn't matter. You only need the practicality. I really think it's a combination of both.
1: Oh, that, that's terrific, Greg. I think that makes a, a ton of sense, and I think it it's, it really fits into what I think the students want to get out of of, of being at school, especially you know, at a terrific school like like uh, like BU. The, the, the last thing I want to ask is that the you know students get a lot of uh, lessons uh, you know that that we impart to them, some of which is uh, intended and some of which is not intended. And so the other thing I noticed about some of the the projects you set up is that they really seem to aim towards social activism. Uh, even though it's a it's a business school, and yeah. certainly you know when I was in school, the the, the Twain would never meet.
2: Right.
1: right. <laughs> so you know, the social activism is what you can do after you've made all your money, and you know you want to become a philanthropist. So, can you talk a little bit about how you, how you're teaching students sure. to sort of blend the two? Yeah, and, that's a
2: that's a really good question, Victor. I think that when we all graduated from whatever program we graduated from, whether it was college or or graduate school, et cetera, I think the world was far more binary than it is today. I think you either worked for a nonprofit company or for a for-profit company. And that didn't mean that track A was better or worse than track B, but you sort of chose a track and that did not mean you couldn't go back and forth between the tracks, but most people, at least by the time they're 35, 40 years old, might have experimented with a number of different tracks and once they get to be 35 or 40, they sort of selected that track and went on from there. Uh, And I think that it was fairly binary, as I said, that, you know, you might have worked for for profit or not for profit companies, you decide when you're 40 years old, you want to be for a mission driven company, that's your calling in life, and you're going to work for a nonprofit or the antithesis, where you are going to work for either a privately held entity (laughs) or a publicly traded company. And again, that was a long time ago. And, And quite honestly, before likely Sesame Street was paved. (laughs) So if you think about where we are today, right, in the year 2022 or 2023, depending on when you broadcast or rebroadcast this, the world has changed. And I don't think it's a matter of just working for a nonprofit or a for-profit company. I also think that corporate culture means a lot. And I also think that corporate culture matters to people, whether it's a mission-driven nonprofit or a publicly traded company where you know we just completed the third quarter of the year, we're in Q4, so Q3 earnings are about to be released. I, I think that it's okay for a for-profit company or a publicly traded one to have a, a, a mission statement or a value, a set of values, and and live by it, and be called out if they're not living by it. So some of our most successful programs at Questrom, at the Questrom School of Business, have been something uh, like the SI program, social impact where students are getting an MBA, a regular MBA with all of the bells and whistles that come upon that, but they also have a significant focus on the social impact nature of their business decisions. Again, when we were all in school, people talked about ethics. You you almost sort of checked off the box that you took a course on ethics and Yes, I remember. That was me, right? (laughs) Exactly. But now it's something, especially this generation of students, and I really don't care whether they're undergraduates or graduates, this stuff really, really matters and it should matter. But finally, it's a generation that takes it super seriously.
1: Okay, that's terrific. you actually made me think of one more question, Greg, and then and then I'll stop, right? So now the school year has, has been underway for like you know a month or two, right? And you're totally immersed in it, obviously with the classes you're teaching and the programs you're running. What are are there things you're seeing uh, in that you hadn't expected that a year from now we're all going to be talking about and we're saying how did we not see this coming?
2: Uh, yes, and I actually have a very positive anecdote to share with your listeners and/or your viewers. That's good. I am seeing more engagement from our students than I probably have seen in the past five years. And and I'm selecting the number five because it was pre-COVID, right? Is that I could show you program after program, class after class, where there's something that's due, a paper, an assignment, they're supposed to show up and do something, right? I'm seeing numbers in the high 90s, if not a perfect 100%, I'm having students email me saying you talked about blah, blah, blah in class. Where can I learn more? It oh, yeah. is like mana falling from heaven. It's so nice to see because I gotta tell you, and no disrespect to your podcast that we're doing this over Zoom. It, you know, it's Zoom is great. It, you know, practicality, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, Victor, really high on that scale, but we can't see the nonverbal communication as well. We can't see because I'm trying to look at both of you at the same time, which is almost (laughs) impossible that you know, if if Rajiv raises an eyebrow because he disagrees or is confused about something and you raise a similar eyebrow, Victor, I can't do that in in real time. But when you're with a bunch of 30 students, uh, you immediately are sensing whether the class discussion is going in a good way and not such good way, whether it's stalling, you've got to move on to something else. It's just so exciting for me, and I'm, I'm not choosing that, that term uh, loosely, that people are happy to be back on campus, are happy to be in these classes and programs and wanna get the most out of it. It's great to see.
1: That's great. Well, we always love ending on a happy note. So Greg, you know, thanks very much for joining us. We really love what you're doing, you know, really training you know, the next generation of, of business leaders to both you know, run, run businesses and also hopefully make the world a better place.
2: Well, thank you again, both for the opportunity to join you. I've heard very nice things about your podcast. I knew about it before I met you, Victor, and it's uh, a pleasure to be a part of it. So thank you again.
0: Yeah. And just one last thing, small shameless plug, please tell your BU students because we love them at r Square to (laughs) continue applying on Handshake because that's where we get the maximum application. So that's, well, we
2: we appreciate you employing them. These are as interns or full-time employees and, I, I, again, this is not a, uh, we'll have lunch. uh, I will definitely for real uh, forward something to our career services office. If one of you could email me and mention that even in a couple of sentences, that would be the easiest email I sent this afternoon. So Awesome. Thanks,
1: Greg. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Yeah, bye.
0: Please send us your comments and questions about networking by posting them in the comments below or for a quick response, email us at didn'tlearn at harvard at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. It means the world to us. Try today's networking nugget and tell us whether it worked or if you hate it or if If you'd like us to brainstorm a solution for you, no charge. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting us by listening and sharing our content with people you care about. That's all this week from Rajiv and Victor. Thanks for listening to things I didn't learn at Harvard. Hopefully you learned something here today.